Radio's Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trigg-Hauger, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute, Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. In the 1980s, in what was then northern Somalia, doctors, teachers, and other professionals lived out their ethics and ideals by restoring a hospital and responding to the needs of people in their community. Their actions were rewarded with arrests and imprisonment. That story is about the Ufo group, an inspiring example of people standing up for what they know is right. Despite the story's historical significance, it's not well known amongst the Somali diaspora, the local community, or academics. Abba Talander is a PhD student at Prio. She researches people's motivations and actions when initiating collective action in repressive settings, and for her PhD, she focused on the case of Ufo. In this podcast, she's joined by Dr. Muhammad Aden Hassan, a community activist, entrepreneur, and researcher. His work focuses on youth, migration, and social and policy-related issues. He is also a Prio Global Fellow. The two of them have worked on researching different parts of the Ufo story, which continues to this day with still living members and those who have been inspired by them. In today's podcast, Muhammad and Abba discuss Ufo, the research and work they did about Ufo in a documentary interview TV show, and how this story can inspire people around the world. In this episode, you'll also hear the voice of Shukri Ali. Shukri is a research assistant who Abba worked with and who also volunteered as a journalist and assistant during the production of the TV program. She's also an activist and volunteers in her community as part of initiatives that encourage youth to participate in humanitarian projects in the country. Welcome to the podcast, Ebba and Mohammed. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, we're going to be talking about UFO today. I feel like I know this story quite well because I've been working with you, Ebba, on sharing um, the comic and soon hopefully animation uh, that is the outputs that have come out of your PhD work but the team that has been around you for the last few years um, has been amazing and many many people and one of them is here with us today um, Muhammad Aden Hassan you are a researcher and an activist and you also uh, co-founded or you founded and own a tv station I don't know how you have time for all of these many activities but we're going to get into um, some of the work that you did with Ebba uh, Abba, just to start, though, so we give the listeners context, um, who was the Ufu group and what did they do? Yeah, yeah. Um, great question. So um, the Ufu group are a group of uh, doctors and teachers and other professionals. Um, they uh, had just returned to Hargeisa in the early 1980s. And at the time, Hargeisa was a big city in what was then North Somalia. But today, Hargeisa is the capital of Somaliland. Um, at the time, um, there was a lot of negligence at the hospital and in the schools. Somalia had just lost the war against uh, Ethiopia, and there were many refugee camps in the region that put a lot of pressure the UFO professionals, uh, they also saw this negligence as part of the oppression from the regime, and they didn't expect any help from them. So they asked themselves, what can we do to address the suffering that we're seeing in our community? So they started with uh, cleaning in the hospital and volunteer in the schools. And um, two of the professionals also started to write a newsletter to create even more awareness and, and try to mobilize people. And um, the newsletter, they called it UFO. And this is why the UFO group is known as, as UFO. It means 
the sweet smelling wind before the rain. And this name is, is quite remarkable because it really foreshadowed what happened next. So unfortunately, the newsletter got into the wrong hands and there, it was a dictatorship. So there was no freedom of, of press. So uh, they were arrested one after one uh, um, and uh, uh, interrogated and, and tortured for many months. Um, the day before their trial, they received the news that they were facing execution. And um, this news spread like a wildfire in the city of Argeza. And the day after, on the day of their, their planned trial, secondary school students um, started to protest outside the court building. And both female and male students were joining, and also many female residents in Hargeisa. And they were demanding the release of their teachers and their doctors. And this was quite a, a, an important moment in the history because it was the first time in this part of the country where pe that people were protesting op openly on the streets, which was, of course, very dangerous. And the police and the mil military cracked down with, with violence on these protests. And, uh, um, but they succeeded. So the regime didn't dare to execute the professionals and they were sent to prison instead. So... Um, I could continue to tell their story, but I think I'm going to stop there because what happens next is also both really horrific, but also quite remarkable how they survived many years in prison, many of them in solitary confinement. And I recommend everyone to check out the comic, the animation. And if you, for the Somali speaking audience, the TV show, there are many episodes on, on YouTube and we will link to them as well. And just Briefly, I would love to mention, because as a researcher, I've been interviewing them about their motivation. And it seems like many of them were motivated by uh, their sense of justice and equality which are, and, and the importance of standing your ground and, and trying to do something for, for others and, and helping people in need. And these seem to be very core Somali values that they were they were fighting for. And they also had uh, several of them, uh, they were motivated by nationalistic se sentiments. They felt a national duty, a sense of responsibility to contribute to their country. And, and, and these people were educated. Many of them had their education from abroad, like from LSE in London and other places. And they could have easily just gone abroad and followed their own personal career. But they decided to come back to, to risk their lives and try to help people, which is quite inspirational. And yeah, the rest of their story, also when they come out, out from prison, the role they continue to play is also quite remarkable. So yeah, I recommend everyone to to follow to to check out the animation and the comic definitely. So yeah, it's a very it, thrilling story actually. Um, and I was just rereading the comic and I was thinking it really reads like some kind of I don't know Marvel superhero sort of story. Um, it and in the comic it sort of is a amalgamation of many of the activists. It's not any one person. Um, which I think works really well because it could be anyone feels like the message that this is something that everyone has the capacity to do if they can just find the the strong will within them to um, to actually do these kind of acts of both acts of service and, and activism. Um, Ebba, I want to hear in a moment about how you started your work on this um, project for your PhD. But first, Mohammed, I want to go to you. What was your first introduction to UFO? Uh, do you remember how you first heard about them? 
yes, just before I go that, can I just say huge con congratulations to Eba for finishing this extremely exciting and important project. Yes. Um, uh, I mean, it is, as, as we know, it is an extremely important part of, of, uh, of Somali history that has been really, as far as I'm concerned, neglected. Um, and I'm so happy that Eba uh, has taken on uh, a three, four year PhD project uh, just to make sure that these voices are also heard. Uh, so, so also thank you for doing that. Uh, I remember when we started that uh, you were really sort of uh, in a rock on a hard place, and um, and uh, and as as we all are at the start of our PhD. But I'm so happy that this is actually coming to an end now. And oh my goodness, the 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 initial uh, sort of uh, output is 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 extremely interesting, and this podcast is part and parcel of that. So huge congratulations. Um, my initial introduction to UFO was my late dad uh, um, was uh, also in touch with, with the UFO members. And I, I knew about the project because, uh, 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 again, whenever I asked me about what, what to do, this was my initial also suggestion because uh, I saw that as an opportunity. Uh, and uh, and uh, my dad used to always talk about, you know, uh, the resilience of of of, the, of that particular group, uh, and um, because I was an activist, uh, uh, and uh, and he was telling me that uh, uh, we sort of uh, me and the young young people, uh, uh, young when we lived in in Holland and in the UK, uh, my dad used to say tell me that it reminded him of, of the UFO group, uh, how we were sort of operating, how we were sort of uh, collecting funds and sending back medical equipment uh, to the back home uh, to help uh, uh, people who are who were in need at that, uh, at that time um, so that was really my initial introduction and conversation and I was quite interested to say okay who were they what 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 did they do and he was able to tell us yeah this is what happened to them they went to in prison uh, uh, for the common good uh, but as Eva was saying this uh, they were very educated uh, um, um, uh, and my dad was that was part of that initial group in the seventies who were also well educated, but were, but went abroad uh, because of the difficulties uh, back home. Uh, um, uh, uh, and um, but still uh, connected uh, to the uh, to the uh, to the country uh, and particularly to the UFO group. Uh, they were following the development. So I would add that it wasn't really sort of. Uh, although there was a, a core group in, 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 in Somaliland at the time, but there were also many others who were quite connected to them who were in the UK, particularly in the Middle East uh, during the uh, oil boom that many of these young, especially young men went to, uh, and in the States. Uh, so they were all over the place. And many would go back, actually, as Eva was saying, uh, after they uh, completed their education and really... Uh, uh, so the, the, putting sort of their uh, knowledge uh, and giving that back to the to, to the communities as we had. Uh, so that was my initial in, uh, introduction and, and knowledge. And I felt it was always a neglected story uh, uh, and uh, felt like there is much more into it. So that's why I was so happy that Abba took that on. And now we are seeing the fruits of that. And I think we could expect uh, much more of this. Uh, looking forward to read your thesis too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, her thesis hasn't even uh, kind of come out and been available publicly. And yet I feel like so many people have already gotten to interact with this story, which is amazing because that's what you mm. wanted, Ebba. Um, yeah. 
And I like the sorry to cut, I like the Marvel idea because I think that's that, that's that's actually quite a nice mental picture that you could have. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, I'd yeah. way rather read this than a uh, than yeah. any mainstream comic. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like it, it kind of answered my question, Mohammed. That it sounds like you proposed this this idea to Ebba. Um, Ebba, do you remember kind of your initial reaction or were you immediately hooked um, when you heard about this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, so basically wh- when I started uh, my research, I was looking for, for cases of civic deeds, uh, social mobilization, civil resistance, nonviolent resistance, people who are trying to do something good for their community in context of oppression and war. So this was my initial focus. And I started uh, asking a lot of people about this and I got a lot of suggestions. There are so many examples of this and it's such a pity that this is not research more. Mm. And most of like the both the research reports and the journalistic reports we get from this region is so much focused on war or like terrorism and piracy and like very one-dimensional stereotypical narratives where people are either perpetrators or victims and it's it doesn't at all like match my impression when I read and meet people and talk about their their life stories and um, so I was looking for a good case that I could very much go in depth in and uh, and, and and Mohammed Hassan he just emailed me Ufo could be your your case so that was really really crucial but it was also interesting that I was getting uh, um, other people who were also suggesting Ufo to me. One of them was actually uh, totally independent of Mohammed. So one of them was uh, Abdifata Omar, who also got very much involved in the TV program that we're going to talk about uh, later. So he he was the, the journalist in the TV program who interviewed Ufo there. So he was also the one, one of the very early people who suggested Ufo to me. And among all these examples... Um, once I started to read a bit about Ufo, I didn't find a lot in terms of scholarly work. It was maybe mentioned, but not a lot. Not like, not no one had really gone and interviewed many of them and tried to get to the bottom of this story. And I, I, um, yeah, I mean, I was immediately hooked. Definitely, I just felt there was something very unique and special about this case, and uh, and. It's almost, I remember in the beginning how I was drawing parallels with the story of Nelson Mandela. Like, that's how I felt like. And, and, and also this fact that it, it seems so neglected. And, um, and I just wonder how many stories like this there are out there that are not being highlighted and researched. I really believe that there, this, it's a remarkable story, but I really believe you can find many out there once we start looking. And then, and then uh, yeah, I... Like when it comes to how, like sometimes people wonder, but how did you access these professionals? How did you get to know them? And I often say that I, just, which is totally true. I just took my bike to a cafe here in Oslo where I met Ahmed Madar, who's a Norwegian citizen. So these professionals, many of them got political asylum later in countries like Canada, the UK, Norway. And these are people we meet on the streets in cafes, like who, they carry these type of stories and we don't know about them. So it's, it's yeah, that's another reason why it's interesting. And Mohammed Hassan was really crucial here too because he happens to be a very good friend of Ahmed Madar and he helped with um, the introduction. And also when I went to Hargeisa, both Ahmed Madar and Mohammed Hassan was the first to, 
who met me and then introduced me to the larger, larger group who was there at the time. And they are approaching old age. So this was really a unique opportunity to, to gather their stories. And uh, it felt very, very meaningful. And once I started to interview them, my God, there's like they each deserve their own book <laughs> about their life story. And they're so charming and so wonderful and like have these very unique characters. And yeah, it's been really privileged to get to know them and, and listen to their stories. And I'm just, yeah amazed by them so yeah <laughs> i mean maybe just uh, to, just to add on that maybe one of the things that really make these people um stand out is um is um that they are still very much respected i mean eva was talking about ahmed mother now he has been sort of the uh the chair of the uh, anti-corruption institution in in somaliland uh quite a high position uh but then again he left he resigned because he didn't get his way. Um, they have their way of working. Um, and he was quite interested in sort of addressing the corrupt uh, corruption within these sort of government institutions. Uh, and he wasn't getting his way. Uh, and, and, and he, again, uh, just resign um, uh, and, 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 and not completely leave, but try still to help and do some other things uh, in a way that he feels sort of comfortable with. He just couldn't sort of see himself doing this and being part of this big institution if he's not really getting the job done. Uh, and, and that is also quite unique in, 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 uh, in their approach and the way they do things. Uh, and one other person that comes yeah. into mind here in Seattle, actually, mm. who just came, uh, and Bashe, uh, Abdi Bashe, um, uh, who was also a, a very prominent um, uh, UFO member who uh, Eva has also the uh, opportunity to interview in Hagesa, who is having his dialysis here in Seattle, actually. Uh, and the reception that he's got when he came here, uh, people are really sort of um, uh, helping them, uh, whatever they are, uh, giving them really sort of the, uh, the, the respect that they deserve within the community. So they, their standing is really still up, uh, up here and, 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 uh, and, and people... They show their uh, aspiration, uh, respect, and, uh, and mm -hmm. they draw also still draw really a lot, a lot of inspiration from from them. And I mean, they are extremely humble, very receptive, very normal. I mean, one of the young people was saying they're like my father, mm -hmm. uh, like my uncles. And I think that's true for many Somalis uh, who could sort of pretty much relate to them uh, in, in that way, and very accessible in that respect. Mm. Yeah, Abba. Yeah, uh, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I like Ahmed Mader is such a good example. I also went with him to the Hargeisa hospital where he's still volunteering yes. today. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> and that's just, and, and, and he's not an exception. Like all of them are, yeah. are like this. Like mm. and we could talk on and on with each one of them. And it, it's quite amazing. But, but still, I also wanted to add that there's one generation that know them well, but the younger generation haven't heard about them yes. before. And that's, that's also... Yeah, really something that I, I came to know when I went to Hargeisa. And I have many examples of this, how one of the professionals works at the University of Hargeisa. And he, he followed me, um, he took me to many different classrooms where we went in and asked people, have you heard about UFO? And no one had. We stopped students. And these were university students. They hadn't heard. And this was my my experience again and again and again. I worked with several remarkable research assistants as well, uh, which we might also mention in the description. 
and and they also had they were educated brilliant but they hadn't heard about ufo before i told them about it so it was really like this generation it, it was very unknown. So this is also the reason why we wanted to create the comic and the TV program, mm. uh, but uh, which we will come back to in a minute, I, I guess. But I also just wanted to mention about the comic that it's uh, Pat Masionis, the artist who, who did the artwork for, for the comic. And we really chose him because his style was so beautiful in like, it's really fitting for the 1980s and that sense, mm. because it's yeah. like a 1980s comic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we thought it was a, a very good match. And he's also in the same age group as the UFO professionals. He's, mm. um, so he was, yeah, he's French Congolese and he really connected with, with the story. And he, he also had so brilliantly captures the the dusty yellow sand that you get in in Hargeisa. So yeah, I just wanted to. And it's produced by Positive Negatives. Uh, So you have Benjamin Dix played an important role there. I really recommend everyone who's interested in visual storytelling to listen to the podcast that you did Indigo with Benjamin Dix and Cindy Horst, where they also mention uh, Ufo as an example. So Yes, yeah, and I'll link to that podcast as well. I want to ask you about the the TV show um, and kind of this is a very different we touched on the comic already this is a very different way of presenting the story and since we have you here Mohammed that's why I really wanted to just um, talk about this at least briefly before we finish up with discussing the youth and how we can spread this message further but um, how did you to get the idea to do this TV show I mean Mohammed did you approach Ebba, because of course you had this um, the the TV channel connection. Um, where did you get this idea? I mean, um, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Ebba already alluded to this. Um, now, the idea of actually discussing the UFO story uh, and UFO story being such an important story uh, uh, and part of Somali history that's been neglected, um, and, uh, and particularly we, I, I thought. This is a, a great opportunity where also young people could have access uh, to, to, to this story. Uh, and not only that, not only young people, but there is also some of the older generations that have heard of UFO, but do not know the nitty gritty and the details of the story and what they have been through. Uh, and this was really a unique uh, opportunity to hear it really from the UFO members uh, who haven't had such an uh, a voice in 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 such a way, uh, also giving them that opportunity to tell their own story in their own way, uh, and really, uh, and that's uh, and not only um, uh, focusing on the UFO members. I mean, they were the core focus of the program, but they because they have been so humble, uh, uh, and mm. uh, uh, and I was um, uh, and I thought. There is much more into the UFO story. Uh, it's good to hear it from them, uh, and they could have their own. So, but I think if we also include their family members and 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 the people that know them very well, we could really get a more sort of detailed uh, accounts of what they've been through. Uh, especially because they were locked up. I mean, how um, one of the things uh, I was really extremely interested was how people perceive them uh, in that respect and. Uh, when they were locked up, how did their friends see? What did their family go through? What are the accounts? This is not only something that they went through, but th- there was also the extended family and friends who were equally suffering from 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 this experience and 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 these events. So really, just to get a, a sort of a full account 
of, of this story. That was the whole idea of actually getting. And TV can, can really sort of produce that quite well. The other idea was also just to go to uh, the youth and, and say, okay, what do they know about this? Uh, uh, and, and how we could we also include their voices. I mean, we, we already there was the assumption that, okay, there is not much known about UFO within this sort of core youth, uh, youth cohort or youth group. Uh, but it would just be interesting to sort of to add that because I think that would also give uh, an extremely important um, sort of a story about the neglect is also, uh, that in itself is also a story, uh, an important mm-hmm. part of what we wanted to show. Um, I mean, how come that this extremely important uh, event in the past is so neglected and nobody knows about it? And, and, uh, and okay, you could say people do not know about it, but how do you show that? How do you demonstrate that people do not know about this? And TV was a way of doing that, that when you ask people and, 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 and uh, throw the question and say, and what we did was we... We did uh, 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 fo- we took photos um, in the form of posters of, of UFO members, and we just will ask them and do you know do you know who this is, uh, and do you recognize who this is, uh, and and of the, uh, on top of their mind. And I would say, Eva, uh, 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 you would agree with me about 90, 80, 90 percent wouldn't know who we were talking about. There were very few people uh, mm-hmm. who were also connected to them through somehow somewhere somehow who knew. Uh, and there were maybe they heard of them and they know them, but they didn't connect the story. Uh, so uh, they would know some of their teachers, some of their professors. Some of them are professors at the University of Agesa, for instance. So they would know them as their professor, but they wouldn't know that they were also connected to the UFO uh, group and the story uh, in, in, in that respect. Um, so Tufi was really an extremely important uh, uh, element to that. And as part of uh, our broad uh, engagement, I think we have a, a research institution called uh, Rako Research and Communication Center. And part of that communication is actually to address this, uh, uh, that type of really reaching out to a broader audience. I mean, as academics, we could also be pretty much focused in our writing and in our um, sort of approach to quite a, a limited group that understands our lingo uh, so uh, we, we shouldn't assume that everybody has access to the way we write. Uh, any, academia is a, is a very complex and difficult uh, sort of uh, um, uh, 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 research to access. Uh, um, so for me, it was looking at the story, well, let's broaden this out. Uh, and that's part and parcel of why we exist as well as a research institution to make sure that whatever we discuss has also uh, the accessibility uh, and to broaden that as much as we can. And this was part and parcel of that too, yes. Mm. And it seems like it also really fits with this co-creating knowledge um, mentality that Ebba, you had. And um, of course, Cindy Horst, your advisor at Prio has also had. Um, and I, I know that you've said you also got a lot of um, research data out of the out of doing the TV show. Uh, so what was that experience like for you? Just briefly, since we, we have to cover yeah. a couple more questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So basically, yeah, uh, Mohammed approached uh, Cindy and, and me and uh, about his idea about doing a, a research TV collaboration. And I mean, we really, really loved the idea. So it's uh, for many reasons. So it's not just a way of disseminating research, but it's actually a method where you 
co-create research. So for me as a researcher, this is so interesting. When we started interviewing, um, um, yeah, there was so much data that was kind of generated in this process. Uh, when we were like asking people on the streets about who UFO were, we were interviewing youth activists, family and friends of UFO about their impressions of UFO and also the really in-depth interviews in the TV studio where there was an audience of young people who could ask questions. And I mean, this just, this was a, a, like a, a gold mine for a researcher in, in times of high quality, super interesting data and understanding the context and the relationships and, and how the story is commemorated. Yeah. And I really love the, the idea of like passing the mic to the research participants and let them tell their stories in their own words, mm-hmm. using their like uh, acknowledging their expertise, their communication skills which are excellent rather than me going home writing something for behind a paywall in English using scholarly I mean this is a a unique opportunity to be what we say less extractive as researchers but to actually make sure the knowledge is is shared with the rest of the community where we do research and uh, yeah so uh, and I also got I was working with several especially four, uh, five research assistants who got really involved in the TV program as well as, as journalists and as assistants in different ways. So this was also a way, because they had learned so much about UFO. So they, were gr- they had great expertise for the TV program and really added into that process. And they also got to learn a lot of new skills along the way, which was really interesting to see. Yeah, so I... Um, yeah, and also just very briefly, lastly, the cross-generational dialogue that was created in these spaces. Both like in, but like we had huge billboards up. There was like trailers on social media. We had the website booklet flyers. We were spreading knowledge where maybe it was uh, triggering discussions all over the society, but also in the in the TV studio with the young audience talking to the UFO professionals. It was just this wonderful moments of cross-generational dialogue that seemed to be um, where, where they interacted and, and learned from each other. It was something the UFO professionals really wanted to, to address the youth and make them think more about their sense of responsibility for others, for the collective, but also for the youth to to feel inspired. So yeah, I know, um, uh, yeah, so I, I just wanted to mention that aspect as well, yeah. I mean, it's really, just to add on that, Indigo, and about it, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, we should never forget the sort of the input that these research assistants, uh, people like Abdi Fattah, who was doing the interviews, uh, as well as um, uh, d- during the recordings, during the actual recordings, um, uh, there were also many participants who came along uh, and who were watching sort of the, the program. Uh, and we were also given the opportunity to also interact with the UFO members. And their questions were just amazing. So in terms of data generation, I think this could uh, be another PhD, uh, if you like. Yeah. Right? Just looking at sort of sort of the interactions between uh, sort of uh, these uh, uh, young people who, were, who became really excited and interested in the UFO story and sort of the UFO members. Uh, in terms of generational uh, addressing generational issues uh, that is really that was really an interesting dialogue between the two and I'm happy it also happened that way because that was one of the objectives that we had uh, to break that barrier also between these generations uh, yeah 
Well, that's the perfect uh, segue into my final question. Um, first, though, we're going to play a clip from Shukri Ali, who was one of the research assistants that you were just talking about. During the recording of the program, the TV program was the first time I was able to meet and interact with the UFO members. I remember uh, at that point I was already touched by listening to their stories um, by translating and transcribing the interviews. So I was nervous about meeting them in real life for the first time. Um, but at the same time, it was a really golden opportunity because here they were, these uh, really special individuals sitting in front of me and telling and recalling all these events from their lives. Um, I also f remember feeling that they seemed really like uh, very ordinary and uh, humble and which made me even respect them more but at the same time <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting they would be like but uh, I was surprised by that they just seemed really ordinary um, like my uncles or my father and I wouldn't if I didn't know their story that the thing is I wouldn't notice them that's what I'm saying so it made me think of all the people that meet them on a daily basis and not know their stories and I just uh, I felt like they were missing out on the uh, this really inspiring story so I remember I used to feel like I had this urge to just talk to random youth and just talk to them about UFO because if I were them I would want someone to tell me about them I mean learning about the UFO members story and being in this journey with you Eba has been life-changing to say the least and um, the TV show was also an opportunity for me for, for me to invite my friends to witness the recording sessions and listen to the members talk about their lives and the story and hear it firsthand because I have at that point I talked a lot about the first story with my friends and uh, it was it was good for me to show them what I was talking about and see their reaction and they could understand after uh, after coming to the studio and listening to the members, they couldn't understand why I was so passionate about them. So you've mentioned this many times throughout the podcast um, when answering other questions, because it's very relevant um, how much youth, Somali youth, do or do not know about this story. And as you said, Ebba, there's probably many stories that we don't know yet, and hopefully um, they will kind of be uh spread and and I, w I won't say rediscovered but um shared in the future but for now we have the ufo story which is which is an amazing one um do you think that there's a need for national stories because uh the somali diaspora is is huge and i mean this is even illustrated by by this podcast recording um muhammad you're in the seattle area uh shukri is recording from hargesa as you said, Mohammed, you've lived all over um, the world and, and many people have these kind of transnational ties. Um, I, I think that 
activism for a lot of these youth is really relevant, whether they take part in it or not, uh, even in the last couple of years with the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, in the U.S., Somali communities have been extremely active also in Norway and Oslo. Um, so, I mean, that's just one example of, I'm sure, many. But what can youth today, nationally, internationally, uh, take from this story? Uh, or what have what kind of conversations have the two of you had with, with Somali youth? Mohammed, maybe you want to go first. Uh, I mean, it's very interesting that you draw parallels with the uh, sort of Black Lives Matter. Uh, I mean, in similar ways, these are not exact, uh, exactly the same stories because uh, in many ways, uh, but there are huge similarities. I mean, we're talking about life and death. Uh, we're talking about equal, equal opportunities. We, we talk, we're talking about uh, justice. Um, uh, we are talking about um, uh, racism. Uh, in 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 in, uh, in the black and uh, uh, black lives matter uh, uh, case, uh, and this is also what the UFO uh, uh, stood for, um, really. Um, uh, and I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 and I think the core of the story is actually um, okay. Uh, enough is enough. I mean, we've been through um, a lot of uh, difficulties, and uh, we. And I think part of having this voice is also saying uh, we would not let uh, anyone mistreat us uh, or take our uh, uh, um, values away from us. Uh, and that connection, whether you are in, in the U.S. or whether you are in Africa or the Middle East or in Europe, I mean, that transcends across uh, the youth generation. We are really sort of we are really hearing powerful voices, whatever you are in that respect. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's easier to do uh, this type of stuff in, 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 in some areas uh, than in others. I mean, if you look at the Black Lives Matter, it's easier to do. I mean, if you would look at, back at the UFO story, they were, they were not in such a privileged uh, situation. Uh, and that's, I think, also what makes their story extremely interesting uh, because they were really sort of these people were facing um, uh, uh, life and death. Uh, they were in life and death situation. Uh, the circumstances are very different today, of course, but still there, there are these core values that still transcend in terms of justice, having access to justice, being treated equally. Um, uh, um, and, and, and I think that's what people relate to. And these are very, again, these are people that you can relate to uh, uh, they are part and parcel of the community. They are not above anyone else. Uh, 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 and I think that's what makes them really unique in the sense that people are getting inspired about them and, 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 and really relate to them. So that's, I think, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, thank you for that reflection. I, I really agree. And I just would like to share what one of the research assistants I work with, uh, Nasra Dahir Mohammed, told me, because I think her reflections are so relevant here. And uh, <clears throat> she basically, she's involved in, in a school where they are providing after-school education to people in Somaliland. Just to show you the, the impact of the TV program, the school is called ECRA Center for Development and Training. And they're going to have a whole week teaching young people the UFO story. And they're going to use the, the Star TV program as educational material. Just to show you like some, just one example of the impact that 
that the UFO can have. And so many young people have said this to me when they, either if they heard the story before, or if they heard it the first time, like we should follow in their footsteps. Yeah, like yeah. it's insp inspirational in that sense. And I asked Nasra, why are you teaching young people about UFO? Why do you think that's important? And she said, well, um, uh, many young uh, people in Hargeisa and in Somaliland don't know about their culture or their heritage or their history. They don't know how to be a proud Somali. So uh, they, they might feel demotivated. And she says, oh, I'm, they might feel, oh, I'm black, I'm Muslim, I'm Somali. It means I can't contribute anything to the world. And this is why we need to teach people about their, their, their cultural heritage, the, the norms and the values that comes with it, just like we talked about the importance of equality, mm. justice. Uh, uh, and the oral culture where people discuss things openly, different views meet. I mean, there's so many, many things that are unknown to the world, but also to young people that they can be so proud of. And um, uh, uh, so that's also something that um, I wanted to, to highlight. Um, yeah. And also the TV programs are the other aspect is that this is an oral culture. So to have a TV program where you hear people talk rather than handing out texts, uh, even if it's in, in Somali, it's really a good way to spread knowledge. Yeah. Um. That's great. Um, thank you, Ebba. And thank you, Mohammed. Um, honestly, I could have gone on for another 30 minutes. <laughs> but uh, we should probably stop there. So we will have many um, links in the description of the podcast so that people can access all of these re resources, animation, um, yeah, comic. We have so much to share. Um, thank you both again, and I hope we'll get a, a chance to discuss further in the future. And um, yeah, thank you for joining. Ufo are my role models. In so many ways, they are my role models, but especially in their nationalism. They've shown me how you become great by putting other people first, by uh, thinking about the big picture, by being brave. And they've also made me feel pride that uh, we have individuals like that in our history and in, in amongst us and that such heroism can be found within us. Uh, perhaps the biggest fascination of all was how they continued their work after being released from the jail. I mean, they felt they owed pe the people because of how the people have protested uh, for them when they were imprisoned. I think most people would say that... Um, this is the time that they should think about themselves and prioritize their needs and their families. But even then, they still put the people's um, best interest first. And they declined really big opportunities like being able to go uh, to the US and, you know, work there. But um, that was really fascinating for me because they were really selfless up until the end. Thanks for picking Prio's Peace in a Pod. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. 
For more information, visit prio.org. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Trigg Additional writing this week by Eva Talande. Music by Mark Nuttall.